Well, good morning and happy Easter to you all. He is risen. He has indeed. This is such a uh, special, hope-filled morning that we have together. If you're still looking for a seat, we certainly have some up front. We won't bite, we promise. Uh, but a uh, special welcome to our guests. Uh, many of you are here for the first time or with friends or family. We're grateful that you're here. We do things a little bit differently here, and we're okay with that. So feel free to enter into the uniqueness of our time together. But uh, we're, regardless of where you're at in your spiritual journey, you're welcome here. And uh, I want you to know that, that we mean that here in our, in our faith context. And so, um, but we're glad you're here. And since the beginning of the year, we've been in this series uh, called Glimpses of Jesus, where we're just trying to uh, take a clear look at who Jesus is, what He's about, why He's about it, and what implications that has for our own lives. And so I want to encourage you uh, to turn in your Bibles, if you have a Bible, to, to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. And as you're turning there, I just want to uh, give you a little bit of context uh, of what we're going to be, uh, be reading, and then Liz is going to come up and read in just a moment. But um, but today, we, of course, we look at a story that most of us, if not all of us, know the ending. We know the ending to the story, but I don't know about you, some of my favorite movies are ones that open, that tell you the ending, and then through the rest of the movie, you try to figure out how did we get to that point of that ending. And I hope that this morning, this is what we feel. We know the ending, but how did we get there and what did that really look like? Uh, and so we're going to do a little bit of context here the beginning of the time, a garden was created. God created the world, and as He created the world, He found Himself saying, I long for more. And so He created humans and lived in complete unity and happiness in that. And then sin enters the world as the people He created said, I don't want anything to do with it. I'm going to do something completely different than what God desires. And so sin entered the world and brokenness occurred and we've been feeling the effects of it ever since. And the world yearned for, the, for everything to be set right and God still pursued His people. He'd pursue His people and He'd love them and they would love Him back and then they would be rebellious and then He would punish them and then they would repent and then they would love Him back and then they would be rebellious and they would be punished. And, and this continued for thousands of years, this cycle, yet God continued to pursue His people. And then all of a sudden, there was silence. There was nothing. Not a word. For 400 years. And the people began to wonder, where did God go? I thought He cared. Why is there all this silence? And then even in the midst of that, of this yearning, all of a sudden, boom! Boom! A little baby comes, not in a palace, but in a manger, and all of a sudden we see this baby grow up, this baby that came to earth, God's own son. He lived as a man. He started his public ministry at the age of 30. He forgave, he loved, he healed, he, he taught, he told stories, he asked questions, he served, he gave his life and built into these 12 followers called disciples. And in the last week of Jesus' life, He had dinner with His disciples. He washed their feet, all the while knowing that one of His own disciples would knowingly betray Him while the other would unknowingly deny Him. Yet He washed their feet anyway. Name another God that washes feet. 
And he's arrested on false charges and he's tried unjustly. A murderer was released to the public in his stead by the name of Barabbas. And he's brought before Pilate. He's tried. He's flogged. He's crucified. He's mocked by soldiers, even the prisoners that were around him. And he breathed his last breath. The sky got dark. An earthquake occurred. And he was placed in a borrowed tomb. And the rock is sealed. The entrance is guarded. And women get up early on the first day of the week and go to the burial site. And the world changed forever. So as you've turned to Luke 24, I would ask that you stand... And Liz is going to read from Luke 24, 1 through 12. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like hands. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Thank you. You may be seated. And as you're being seated, I want to say, first of all, kids, you've done a great job being quiet these last few minutes. And we actually have something just for you. And so if you are a little kid, we want to encourage you to get up and to go in the back. Nathan is in the back. You see Nathan waving to you. We have something for you. So go ahead and join Nathan and, and also Doug. And we will see you in a few minutes. <laughs> and as we've been doing, the kids, the kids will uh, be out for about 10 minutes and we're going to have discussion like we normally have had in this Glimpses series. So we've got some questions we're going to put on the screen. And uh, you can just go ahead and put them on right now. These are the questions that I want us to just circle up with three or four people, and maybe people you've never met or seen before. Introduce yourself and, uh, and just discuss uh, uh, these questions. And then what's going to happen is the kids are going to come back in in about 10 minutes. And when they start charging in, that is our one-minute warning to wrap up conversation. And then, and then we're going to have a discussion, all of us, okay? So when you hear the kids, begin to land the plane of your discussion. But let's look at the, the Luke 24 passage and what Liz just read, and let's ask these questions to the people around us. Ready? Go. All right, welcome back, kids. Welcome back. And kids, I know you've got a, I know you've got a coloring sheet. And so, kids, I want to challenge you with something. Two things. 
I want, I want to see you draw some really good pictures for us. And maybe at the end, when we're all done, would you come up and show me those pictures? I would love to see those. And number two, I actually have some questions for you in just a few minutes. So as you color, if you can quietly listen as well, I'm going to ask you some questions about a painting that we're going to put up on the screen. All right? So welcome back. So let's talk about some of this. If you're new with us, this might be a little bit different, but this is the way we're engaging with the Scriptures, and we're hearing great feedback from people that were really learning and, and uh, grappling with the Scriptures in, in a way we haven't before. So obviously we know the end of the story here with Easter. But, but what's happening? What, what are the people feeling in this story? What are you noticing? What did you talk about in your groups? And by the way, feel free to stand up and, and just talk loudly so we all can hear. What did you talk about? What stuck out? God. God stuck out. Yes. Thank you. Awesome, Lydia. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, April. I like that this passage um, was intentional. I'm assuming by you guys that um, it doesn't have Jesus in it at all. Yeah. Resurrection piece, he's gone, he's not there, he's not in the story. This is glimpses of Jesus, yet we're not glimpsing him. I like that. Yeah, did anyone else talk about that in your groups? In a series on the glimpses of Jesus, there's no glimpse of Jesus. <laughs> and by the way, aren't we thankful for that? Had there been a glimpse of Jesus, there would be no reason for you to be here this morning on an Easter morning. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so yes, that was very intentional. Yeah, but I mean, I think it's important we wrestle with that in a series on glimpses of Jesus. Aren't you thankful there's no glimpse? But that also means there's some emotion that comes with that too, with those that were expecting to get a glimpse of Jesus and they didn't. You know, we see it retroactively. It makes sense to us, right? Good Friday is good because of what we know what happens later. But even Easter morning, there's a lot of stuff going on here that. I mean, let's just think about the raw emotion. Let's think about some of that. So, what were some of the emotions, even just some of the, like, the verbs and, and adjectives that describe the emotions that exist in this passage? Any, any of you talk about the actual emotion? Yeah, Denise. Confusion? Shock. Yeah. Puzzled? Yeah. yeah, that's right. It's easy for us to see these with rose-colored glasses, right? Oh, it's so wonderful, and we're in our Sunday best, and isn't that terrific, and the Easter lilies. Look at... But, like, there's a lot of terrified people based on what's happening on this morning. Yeah, that's good. What else? Anybody else have any? Yes, Cindy. Peter, I imagine he was no. Yeah, yeah, and I'm gonna put, I'm gonna put her on the spot. But Ange, can you share a little bit what you emailed me this week about through the lens of a counselor? Yeah, so I 
I mean, I never thought about that until Ange emailed that to me this week. She's like, how could you not experience PTSD? And that's a great point. There's no closure. You've got to wait a day. And then everything changes. I mean, feel that. Feel that story. Like, that's what's actually happening. Now, in, and there are other versions of this where you know, we, we read in this in Luke that it says Peter ran, Right? But in John, it says that Peter and John went. John had to tell us that he got there first, by the way. So, by the way, don't forget, right? So John's tweet was, I'm the fastest runner of the two of us, just so you know, hashtag blessed, right? I mean, that's, that's his way of saying, like, yo, guess who got there first, you know? Track star in high school, you know, kind of thing. So, even though, even though that's not the story, the version that we're reading, I still want to show you one of the most moving Easter paintings. And I posted it this week on social media. Eugene Brennan's John and Peter running to the tomb on the morning of the resurrection. And kids, I want to ask you a question. Kids, as you look at this painting, so if John, I'm assuming John is on the left in the white, and Peter is the one in the center, as you look at that, kids, what do you think they're feeling? You think they're feeling sad, Adelina? Yeah, yeah, Jesse. Happy? You think I look happy? All right. Yeah, Ella. Sorry? Worried. Yeah, worried and confused, especially John, right? In white. He's just like, he's got his, 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 uh, his brow is all, all wrinkled. Yeah, yeah, Lana. Think he's excited? Which one looks excited? Peter. Look at those eyes. How about the adults? What do you what 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 sticks out to you? They're hoping. Yeah. The expectation. Yeah. Grief. Yeah. Rachel. Sorry? Emotionally spent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Peter looks like he hasn't slept. Like, anybody pull an all-nighter? You kind of look like that, don't you? Yeah. I love the hands in this painting. Both of them. You know? I mean, I just the expectation of John. Yeah. I, I'm assuming his hair, I mean, hair, the wind kind of looks like it's going through his hair, right? Like he's running fast. I feel like if you were to press play, like they would be like running as fast as they could. Like, if you press play, yeah. 
the one in the middle, especially, is like, you know, you, know, you just want to get someplace so fast that you're just trying to keep your eyes focused, like, huh. as far as you possibly can to, like, try to see it, like, second you can see it. Yeah, the eyes focused on where you're going as fast as you can. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Maybe one or two. Kathy and then Liam. Yeah. Huh. Huh. Yeah, good. Good. Hand over heart. Just can't take it all in. Liam, yes, last one. They both look like they they both look like they, they're hoping against hope that what they think they're about to see, they're about to see. Huh. They don't want to get to Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So I was at the Gribben House Church last week when we looked at this. And by the way, this is one of the things I love about this structure. The most brilliant thought of the entire house church, ask everyone in the house church last week, the most brilliant thought about this teaching came from Hope Durr, eight years old. We all have a part to play in engaging with the scriptures. Just let that sink in, all right? But as we were talking about this, this came up in the Gribben House Church. Is Peter, when he's running, what is he feeling? Is he doubting or is he believing? <laughs> yes. <laughs> is he doubting or is he believing? He's believing. He's believing, he's acting. Okay, does anyone disagree with that? I think the two are kind of warring within each other. Huh, they're warring within each other. Interesting. Huh. Yeah, Lana. Okay, so you think he's doubting because you're wondering why he's running to the tomb if they didn't just believe what Jesus said. Is that right? Is that what? Yeah. And here's the deal. We don't know. We don't know. And I, I actually think it's probably right. There is a bit of a warring going on in the midst of that. Now, we're not exactly sure on that. But I, I think it's really important that we understand the raw emotion of this before we just go rah, rah. And yes, by the way, the tomb is empty. There is victory, and we celebrate that. When Jesus cut down the nets and declared victory over death, I mean, it's, it's the hope that we have. But don't run too far ahead to the victory without feeling the burn of the emotion. If you were there, what would you be feeling? And don't answer that too quickly. But that is very important that we understand the raw emotion that exists in this passage. Okay? Did any of you in your groups talk about the people? The people in the story. The actual characters. Anybody do that? Yeah? What, what did you talk about when it came to the people? The actual characters in the story? Who they were, why they were there? Yeah, Clyde. Personally, I see Mary, the mother of James, as being the mother of Jesus. Huh. And the transition from the mother of Jesus to the mother of James, because James is still alive and huh. probably the oldest brother. Hmm. Um, so she's running to a tomb to see her dead son. Hmm. Yeah. What is she feeling? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Now, here's an interesting point we need to understand. 
You know, there were, there were many accusations that this was a made-up story, right? It still exists today. Like a lot of people, you know, conspiracy theory, you know, like they try to do everything they can to orchestrate this and they fooled millions of people for thousands of years. But here's the deal. If you were to construct a believable story, you would never have women be the ones reporting the news first that there was nothing there. Law even said not only does a woman's testimony not hold up in court, if four or five or, women, or five or six women had the same story validating even the other stories of the other women, they said it still wouldn't hold up in court. So if you were to craft a story, one of the things you wouldn't do is you wouldn't ask women in the story to be the ones to go. You would make up a totally different story about credible men who actually saw us. I think that's an important detail for us to understand. That it's not only true, but notice also who God used. He used the women to be the ones to announce the coming of Jesus out of the tomb. Think about that. Now just let this linger for a little bit, okay? The good news was announced to the world first through women. Lennon Sweet said, how can a church silence the voices of women when you can't tell the story of Holy Week without hearing the voices of women? Now, by the way, Luke does a great job of highlighting the poor, of highlighting healing. Remember, he's a doctor. And highlighting women. This is highlighted in this, in this particular uh, you know, version of the Gospels, I think that we need to take notice of that. So someone else had a hand up, I think, over here. Yeah, Johnny. Alright, so if I can get my greed going for a second. <laughs> so I've been wrestling with Peter's response because it's kind of like this amazing climax and all of a sudden Peter's kind of like, man, I'm not really sure what he's thinking. So the responses of the women, the word is perplexed. And for Peter, the word is marvel. And marvel can kind of be like, this is fascinating, but most of the time, the word that's used for marvel is the same word that's used for Jesus and the miracles before he died. So I've just been wondering all week, like, was Peter in belief at that point? I guess linguistically, I would say, yeah, at this point, he's marveling that this happened. Hmm. I think that word really shows that there is belief there after he's seen it. Hmm. Um, and especially since Luke is saying, he uses a different word for the women to say perplexed, and for Peter, after seeing it, he's saying marvelous. So uh, good. Kind of yeah, yeah. Yeah, Liz, yes. I just thought of something how Jesus said, you have faith as small as a mustard seed. Yeah. God can work with that, because that grows into a huge bush. Yeah. So when I saw that picture, what I saw in the face of Peter was, the belief might be tiny. Huh. It's battling with doubt. Yeah. God works with us in steps. He doesn't always go, you know. Yeah. And that he leads us as we can go, and he'll give us sometimes, if you can move this step, then I will. Yeah. Great. It also reminded me. Remember in the in the gospel story where Jesus is about, uh, or Jesus is asked by a man to heal his son, and he says, "If you can do it," and Jesus said, "If I can, all things are possible." And then he says, "I believe, but help me with my unbelief." I wonder if that's Peter's mantra right now too. 
I believe, but I think I do. Maybe I don't, but I do. But wait, hold on. You guys ever felt that? Ever? Maybe I'm the only one? Yeah. There's a lot of warring and emotion going on in that. I sometimes have a hard time relating to people that are like, oh yeah, that's, of course I believe it, that's perfect, great. Wait a second, I'm not sure we see a whole lot of that among the disciples who lived with Jesus. This warring that happens in us, you know? Anybody talk about in your groups the forgetfulness? The idea of forgetfulness and remembering? You guys know that? Yeah, yeah Dave, you talked about that in your group? Yeah, we talked about that there was this, I'm sure, collective Don't you remember? Yeah. So now they're connecting the dots. But even in connecting the dots, there was still a sense of disappointment. Yeah. Good. I'm glad you made that connection. Yeah, did you notice that? Don't you the angel said, Don't you remember what he said? And in verse 8 it says, and then they remembered. Right? Anytime that a word or a thought is repeated in our Bibles, remember there was no italic, bold, underline. You know, cap, caps lock. Nothing like that. So the way you emphasize something is you repeated it. Remember, remember, remember. You know, this even reminds me of the story that we looked at just a couple weeks ago, the feeding of the 4,000, right? They get on the boat. They go to the other side, right? Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. And what do they say? It's because we forgot the bread. And Jesus is like, are you serious? Don't you remember what happened? How many baskets full did we pick up? Oh, Twelve. How many now? Seven. Don't you remember? Right? There's another forgetfulness. There's another spirit of forgetfulness that exists here. And therefore, I think that has implications for us as a church. Maybe when we gather as a church, it's not so much to learn new information about Jesus in the kingdom. Maybe it's coming week after week and going, oh, I forgot again. I don't have to worry because the tomb is empty. Oh, that's right. I need to remember my identity is not defined by what I do or how well I do it, even though the world tells me that's where my identity comes from. That's right. I forgot. Maybe what we do at church is just to remind ourselves because we've forgotten throughout the week who Jesus is, what He's done, and what that frees us into. Yeah, Joel. We were talking a little bit about why Jesus didn't just stay at the tomb and, and let people discover Him there. Huh. And um, we were thinking it has to do with that remembering the angel was forcing them to connect the dots and forcing them to remember before they got sort of the, the fulfillment, the, the culmination of, of seeing Jesus alive. Yeah, yeah. Remember, remember, remember. Yeah, that's great. And again, we've, we've touched on this. Peter's response, right? They, it said they did not believe what they said. That is, the, the disciples did not believe what the women said. It seemed to them like, what was what's the N-word? Nonsense. And that interaction with Peter is perplexing. In fact, the story ends like a cliffhanger, doesn't it? It's a total cliffhanger. He went away bewildered. Close of scene. What? That's the Easter story, by the way. He went away bewildered. 
cut, curtain closed. That's a little different than maybe what we feel today on Easter morning, right? So let me ask you this. What would you want to ask Peter if you could at that moment? What would you want to ask him? What want to ask him his first thought. What's your first thought? Yeah, good. That's great. What else would you ask him? I want to say, weren't you afraid? Weren't you afraid? Scared? Running there? Weren't you afraid of huh. guards? People? Yeah, afraid of guards, right. Yep. Good, yeah, Peggy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like some say bewildered, perplexed, yeah, marveled, yeah. But even that, I just still want to know, like, what do you mean marveled? Like, I've been marveled over here, and I've been marveled over here, and oftentimes those are two different, you know, what does that, what does that mean, you know? Like, what I want to ask Peter now is like, now what? What are you going to do now? Like, what does this afternoon look like? How about tomorrow? <laughs> you know? So what? Now what? Yeah. And he got up and he ran to the tomb. Verse 12. And for some of us, it's easy for us to shake our heads in condescending judgment of Peter. But I, I want to emphasize something here as we land the plane. I think there was that warring between doubt and belief. I, I want to believe it, but I'm just not sure. But I believe it, but hold on. Wait a second. It doesn't make rational sense, but wait. But here's what I love about Peter. At least he ran. Peter had to see it for himself. And we shake our heads at Peter sometimes that he sank when he got out of the boat when Jesus told him to walk on water. Let me ask you this. What were the other eleven doing? sitting in the boat doing nothing. At least he tried. I think that has massive implications for every one of us. I'm so grateful that Peter didn't just say, I'm overwhelmed by such disappointment. Forget it. I'm going home. I'm just too overwhelmed. He didn't shrug his shoulders in apathy either and say, well, I guess that was a good try. I'll go back to fishing now. I guess I got duped by this guy. Just joined Dad in the fishing business. That even being stunned and bewildered and marveled, wondering to himself what just happened, I am so grateful he ran. So whether he ran in doubt or belief or both, at least he ran towards the empty tomb. And at Renew, I am grateful that this is a place where even in the midst of doubt and belief somewhere mixing together, that there's still a place where we can stumble or limp or walk or crawl in the direction of Christ. And I want to encourage you, if that's where you're at, you wake up this morning and go, I know I'm supposed to do this every year I come to do Easter. Every year I'm supposed to get dressed up and sing all these great songs and say, He is risen indeed. But I just don't know if I can buy that. And I don't even know if I can admit that publicly. 
I want to challenge you and say, you can still run or limp or walk or crawl in the direction of an empty tomb, even in the midst of a mixture of doubt and belief. And it is better than apathetic shoulder shrugging or being so utterly devastated and disappointed that you just say, forget it, I give up. So here's the question I have for you. In the midst of your mixture of doubt and belief, can you still run or walk or crawl in the direction of Jesus? You know, in the Glimpses series, Kelly Royce last week at the Gribbon House Church, she pointed this out. She said, every person that we've looked at in the Glimpses series, every single one of them who's been healed or changed, it cost them something of great value. It wasn't just sweet. That's awesome. We move on. But for healing to happen of the world, the ultimate cost was Jesus giving life for us. His life for us. And then he says to us, this is open to you, this is available to you, but I'm asking you the thing that will cost you the most, and that's your life. And that's what he does here around the table. You know what he says? In the midst of forgetting... Remember! And every time you do this, remember. Remember. Remember not just the empty tomb me, Jesus says. Remember the bloody cross me. And remember the laying in the tomb silently me. And remember the healing of the bleeding woman me. And the persistent teacher me. And the turning the tables over me. Remember the whole me. And just like the disciples forgot Jesus' words and needed to be reminded, Jesus reminds us today, this is me. This is my love for you. You may not be sure if you love me, but make no mistake, I am sure that I love you. And he says, though my body was ripped open and my blood spilled out for you, I did this for your brokenness so that you may be whole again. And if you are here today saying, I just have some sort of mixture of doubt and belief, and I just don't know where all that lands, Jesus says, I still would love to see you run to the tomb. And I'd love, as you're trying to get a glimpse of me, to find there's no glimpse of me because that tomb is empty. See, communion is not for perfect people. As we've said before, if you're new with us, one of the rules we have is that no perfect people are allowed. Communion is not the place for perfect people. It's only for people who admit they aren't perfect. It's for people who are hungry and are saying, I need to receive grace and mercy from Jesus, not because of anything that I've done, but somehow God still believes in me fully, even though I wrestle with whether I believe in Him fully. He loves us that much. So the table is for the hungry, the spiritually hungry people who know the futility of self-sufficiency and self-reliance and need someone larger than themselves to do the rescuing.
And if that's you, you're welcome here. So, we're going to take communion together. And so, like Peter, I invite you to run to the table. But even if you can't run, even if all you can do is crawl or limp or stumble, Jesus says, I still want you to come. And maybe, just maybe, you have the same look on your face that Peter and John do. Your hand over your heart because you can't handle it all. Your eyes because you're so overwhelmed by what's going on. Or maybe you're sprinting because you're like, I gotta find this out and I gotta find it out now because if, if this is just a farce, I don't want to waste any more of my time. And Jesus says, come. Come. Just come. So I'm gonna invite those who are serving communion to come. And one of the things that we're gonna do is we have, we're gonna have four stations around the room. And uh, so we're gonna have a, two up here. And we're going to have two in the back. And so I want to encourage you uh, to do that. And regardless of where you're at in your journey, if you're able to come and say, I just want to run like Peter, and I just want to run like John, then you're welcome at the table.